Welcome to the fourth straight undefeated edition of At The Buzzer, a Colorado podcast that has all your news, notes, and opinions. Really, you don't need anything else. I'm Jack. That's Sam. How's it going? Uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm coming in fired up today, man. I'm ready. Yeah? You're ready yeah. to talk about Lorenzo Neal and 2005 Chargers? Well, you promised me a little bit of a soapbox, so our intro is going to be about that. Um... I was how I forgot how old I was when that game came out, but at that point I was a huge uh, San Diego Chargers fan because the, one of the first games I ever played was Madden '99 on the N64, and they had the best colors on that game, and that continued to be true. And Madden '06 came out, and those that '05 Chargers team was a cheat code. It was an amazing game, team. Yeah, and that Chargers team went 14 and two the next season. So, yes, and then Nate Kading uh, choked away a Super Bowl berth against the Patriots. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember much about that team. I just remember. Oh, man. Well, like 97 overall, Lorenzo Neal. 99 overall, LaDainian Tomlinson. Yep, Lorenzo like Neal, nickname is Superman. Yeah, Sean Merriman. Sean Merriman, Donnie Edwards in the middle. Remember Donnie Edwards? You probably uh, don't. I don't actually know who he is, but I know most of the guys on the other team. Like Quentin, Quentin Jammer. Jammer? Woo! Trayton Florence on the other side. Sean Phillips on the other side of Merriman. Jamal Williams in the middle. Prototypical 3-4 nose tackle. That defense was salty. Yeah, I had most of these guys' cards. What? Then you build around LT for the rest. It's not that hard. Yeah. Um, So, speaking of uh, Lorenzo Neal going up the middle, CU's football was pretty fun. (laughs) Just... (laughs) HB dive after HB dive for like right. 300 rushing yards. I do the segues on this show. What is, what is this? <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. It, look, if you can – what's what's the saying? The shortest the shortest way to any point is a straight line, right? Sure, That's yeah. The saying. If you can run in a straight line to the end zone, just do it, right? Yeah. And if the opponent has 53 scholarship players – and they're already very thin on the defensive line. Just keep running at them. See when they get tired. 55. Oh, my bad. Yeah. How dare you try to discount this already discounted win? You know, <laughs> there's a famous college football podcast <clears throat> called The Solid Verbal that has a theory, and they've been working on for you know a long years, a lot of years. The theory being uh, you got to win your clunkers. Good teams win their clunkers, right? Uh, that means when you have a bad game, when there's stuff that's not going good at all, you still got to win those games. And that's how you know you're a solid team. And that's, I think, exactly what happened <laughs> on, on last Saturday against Arizona. I mean, do you want me to pull up the 2016 schedule? Show you the clunkers? Before, while you do that, I'm going to see if I can do it off of memory. Are you ready? All right. Tell me the close games. Oh, the close games? I was just going to – okay, so CSU oh, okay. blowout, Idaho State blowout. Michigan close game loss. Uh, Oregon close game win, but that wasn't really a clunker. No, not at all. Um, after Oregon was – is that Arizona State? OSU. Oregon State at home, that's right. Yeah, also Steven Montez a, master class. Yeah, not a clunker. Um, then after that was USC? No. Yep, nope, yeah. it was. That's a clunker. Yes, USC lost that clunker. UCLA at home is next? No. 
Arizona State okay. at home. Yeah. That Arizona was State not at a home. clunker. Yeah, they crushed it. But anyways, what you're saying, close game, UCLA <laughs> at home. You missed the two. Disgusting. It was right – you missed it. It was right after ASU with Stanford and UCLA, which were both 10 to 5, 20 to 10. Yes. And Absolute garbage games. Both had one offensive touchdown scored by CU, and they won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- those were great. Not to um, get distracted, I just wanted to compare this season to that season. Well, I think it's interesting because I think strange. a lot of people are doing that now, right? I think a lot of people are looking at the other most recent successful team, 2016 Colorado, and seeing some parallels. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of them. But do you think they're similar teams? Do you feel like they're similar? No. Um, that team was so good. That team – had such a stacked offense just in general, like Philip Lindsay and Lufau with the really good receiving core before they sucked the next year. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, obviously the whole defense was just rock solid. Defensive backs were amazing. And they were just beating the hell out of teams. This team is not really beating up on teams. They're just, like, they're they're getting by for now, but that's just fine. Like, 4-0 and is 4-0. and I would be a little worried if the season was a little longer, but it's not. We only have two games left plus the bowl game, so I'm not really worried about starting 5-0 and and finishing 0-7, like that type of deal. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that 2016 team had way more uh, menace to it, but I also think the main difference to me is that 2016 was bottom-up led, and I think this one is a little more top-down led. I, you know, I, there's been a million people that have said it, including the players on the 2016 team. That was a basically a player-led revolt against losing football games, right? That was yeah. just a bunch of dudes who'd played three years and gotten shit rock for three years. They were just like, nope, not this year. Um, and credit to McIntyre for allowing that to happen in their program, but I don't think that came from McIntyre. Jim Leva had a good season too, but um, – Right. Yeah, like – that, was the that team was entirely senior-driven. Like, they were laser-focused from game one. Like, they wanted to drop-kick teams. Right, exactly. Yes, they wanted to kill teams. They wanted to feel good on the football field. And I think this team hasn't had that pain in them necessarily. They've missed bowl games, but it wasn't the same bottom, bottoming out. And also, I yeah. think there's obviously great leadership on this team, and I don't think that Nate Lamon is – I think Nate Lamon has a lot of the same leadership qualities that we saw – prior but I also think that this team is being led partially by the coaching staff into this situation they've had three different coaches um it's been a lot of stuff and I think Carl Durrell did a really good job straddling between sticking what was familiar and working and making sure he brought a lot of his I would consider even keeled uh, attitude because they mentioned it 8 million times in the Arizona game. That was the largest deficit CU'd ever faced that year, right? Down 14 nothing or whatever it was. Yeah. And I, there was absolutely no change in how they played. <laughs> like, yeah, they didn't no, panic. Yeah, no freneticism. There was, there was nothing. No one was freaking out. I feel, I feel like this team is a little more um, – I mean, I don't want to – I don't think they could win 10 games in a 12-game season like Mm-mm. 2016 did, but they don't I need was, to. I think that's still a huge success this year. Yeah, th- this seems like a very 8-4 and four type of team. Like, you know how CU has either been, like, the past some, – someone did a study, the past, like, 40 years, 
CU has either been really good or really bad, and there's been very little in between. We like we don't know what it's like to watch an above average football team. <laughs> well, like we literally yeah. don't. It's been since Gary Barnett, right? I, it's been since Gary Barnett that we've had that stable, like, oh, we won eight games, we won seven games, okay. Yeah, so it's either been, like, just absolute garbage or, like, the one run in, in my waking memory mostly. And then I know that, uh, like, like this is an aberration. So I think this would be, like, a typical 8-4 and four team that makes a solid bowl game and that fans are really happy about. And it's, like, a really good momentum-building season, especially with younger guys, first-year starters, and so on. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about how the season has gone. Obviously, nobody predicted this, so everybody should be happy. Yeah, let's – I mean, let's go a little bit into the this clunker of a game. CU wins 24-13. They cover uh, 11-point victory. Um, Arizona didn't score after, what, the midway point in the second quarter? Yeah. Uh, actually, no, they didn't score at all after the first quarter. No, no, no. They had a field goal with, like, 13 minutes left in the second quarter, and then they didn't score the rest of the way. That's right. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, Arizona, like you said, was depleted. They had COVID issues, and they're already the least talented roster in the Pac-12, if you ask me. So um, they did some shuffling, and there definitely a lot of um, holes in that roster that I think CU took advantage of, but definitely not CU's best showing, especially over the, in, in the passing game. Yeah. Yeah, Sam Neuer looked really good his first start. He looked really accurate on those quick field quick throws downfield. He had that long touchdown pass to Arias in the second game, I think. And has otherwise not first looked game. like a Yeah, first game, okay. Otherwise he hasn't looked at all like a good passer. Um sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes you have Seth Alufa just chucking deep balls and running through people. <laughs> well, um, we saw some of that this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely no, the running I, I, through people. <laughs> yeah, no. His running ability has been uh, like a saving grace. He's like playing like a – what was the guy's name? Like Eric Dungy at Syracuse or mm. what was the guy's name? I think it was Eric Dungy. Grungy Eric Dungy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like sometimes it doesn't matter if you can't. If you are in these gross, disgusting games and you have a quarterback who can just pick up first downs, that can go a long way. I would just like him to stop throwing interceptions because it looks like his he's throwing it behind receivers a lot the past couple of games, and those have been really dangerous. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he's gotten less and less effective over the air as teams have gotten more and more film on him. Um, and this game was a pretty bad, at least a pretty bad second half from him just executing in the passing game. <laughs> like, that interception, he stared that receiver down the whole time. The linebacker just slid right into that zone. Picked him off. There was a few balls behind Levante Chenault and Dimitri Stanley that would have led to first downs. He also wasn't helped with drops. There's a few easy drops. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, I think he's been the best quarterback we've had in quite some time at attacking the middle of the field short, at least. Yeah. And nobody Russell there really hurts. No um, – well, I guess that's really it in terms of weapons. Dimitri Stanley is still available, and they really haven't gone to him that much since Katie Nixon has came back come back i think that's a coincidence more than anything but um i think that's low volume passing it's just like targets are going to be wonky with 19 passes attempted definitely they're yeah they're taking less passes which is good and i think he's similar he's good at running and i think with the season almost done you don't have to necessarily preserve him as much um 
and hopefully we see a little more design runs or see him keep it a few times when he just sends Mangum or, or Broussard in the teeth of the defense. I don't know. The passing game was rough. The obvious – I mean, we can dance around the, the obvious star uh, a little bit longer. I want to – I think <laughs> Sean Clayton was – showed some quick feet and a lot of potential. I think he's still obviously writing a lot of excitement that the CU fans have over his huge recruiting win. Um, I, well, I don't, he's also – he's just better than Jared Mangum and Joe Davis right now. Yes. At least in the way that we've seen them. But – I also don't think he needs uh, to take away a lot of Bruce Hart's carries. I, I don't think anyone does. <laughs> no, and nobody nobody has the past couple of weeks. They're just going to feed it to Bruce Hart. Like, and he has that Philip Lindsay-type ability to take 25 carries, 30 carries, and not get tired, which is crazy. Like, how do you run for 300 yards and still have juice at the end of the game? I don't know if I agree that he didn't get tired. I think it was pretty okay, easy okay. On, that, on that last run. He could have had a touchdown, but he was just done. Okay. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> okay, well, we stopped dancing around the star. I mean, that was one of the best rushing performances of Colorado history, right? That was. Yeah. No, the the list of players who were that explosive with that many carries are, is very little. Yeah, and you could say it was against a bad team because it was, but CU's played way more bad teams than this, and no one's done 300 yards rushing. Oh. But, oh so, so, of all the games – for someone to have 25 carries or more and average 12 yards a carry, there's that's happened seven times since 2000, and three of those involved CU. Wow. So that Yeah, it was Jarek Broussard, Chris Brown, and then Kadeem Carey against Colorado. God, yeah, he was a beast that game. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully Jarek Broussard will give Arizona fans the same nightmares seven years later. I mean, he's going to stake around for a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, he'll probably give them uh, some issues next year, too. That's it's hard. It's, well, it's hard to – he's a good mix. But I don't know how to say this. What am I trying to say? I think CU is probably the best undersized running back school in the country. Is that a fair thing to say? Um, it's, it's pretty hefty to say. I mean, Biennemi to Rodney Stewart to Philip Lindsay to Jarek Broussard. All of those guys are tiny. And it didn't mm-hmm. matter. I'm trying to think of another school that has – I mean, Darren Sproles for Kansas State, but that's about it. I was just thinking it. Darren Sproles. There's not that many undersized running backs who are just studs. Like, you, it, it's usually the smaller schools that get those guys for obvious reasons. I think that's, that's an yeah, obvious that's through line. I think actually all four of those guys have their own unique style. The enemy was just a dog that wouldn't quit. I, I think, you know, all of them have that in them, but they're, they're a little different. You know, Speedy was a little bit shiftier. Philip Lindsay was a little bit more explosive, at least in his first few starts. And, I mean, Jarek Broussard hits the hole so fucking fast. It's insane. I would also throw Darian Hagan in there, that mix. Because well, okay. I, I, Flanagan, um, J.J. Flanagan. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like Darian Hagan's basically an understage running back. Who's a, just a wizard, but yes. Yeah, I uh, – oh, my – I said J.J. Flanagan. I, yeah, that's right. No, I was thinking – and then yeah, I just no, thought no, of no, J.J. Right. Billingsley. It's no, not J.J. – okay. Anyways, um, I mean, he's just a – he's insane. And I think we are all now understanding that this is a – he is doing historic work this season. 
it's a weird season. We all know, you know, there might be an asterisk around a lot of stuff that happens this year, but like those, these are real carries and these are real teams that he's just destroying. And I don't think that's going to go away next year. In fact, Carl Durrell said he's not even hundred <laughs> percent. That's absurd. Okay. So 733 yards through four games. Most in Seaway history throughout that. Also, weirdly, he hasn't scored a touchdown since the season opener. Which he had two or three, right? He had three, yeah. Yeah. I, it's also crazy to me that against a way harder opening schedule, no offense to Jarek Broussard, Rashawn Salam had 725 yards. Yeah, and he won the Heisman. We're not. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not so, like Rashawn Salam didn't, wasn't recognized for that. I don't know. He's just insane. And it's nice that we also compare him with a, another all-time talent on the other side of the ball. I'm comfortable saying all-time talent now about Nate Lambin. All-time in CU history? Yeah. Yeah. No, he has to be one of the top five, ten linebackers in CU history now. You're good on the line. It's like a really impressive list he's going to be among. He constantly produces – He's always in the right spot, and I mean, he. I think with a just retaliate, he leads the team in sacks and tackles, packs breakups, and he has an interception this year, right? I think. Am I making that up? Uh, let me check real quick. Do you want to, if you want to stall? I, I mean, the dude is just going. To, yeah, he he has his name etched on the record books. He's going to make a lot of money in the NFL. At least I think so, because I don't know how you wouldn't find a spot for him. And he's it's really fun to watch him hit people on the football field. Like that's just really fun to watch. Oh no, you can absolutely he's going to be in the NFL for a long time. He might he's not gonna be a three down player, but he's gonna be a middle line like a middle of the field thumper. And he, he you could certainly find a place for him on special teams too. Um yeah, he's really good. He also does not have an interception, but you're close. Yeah, but yeah I might uh, I mean forty seven tackles and the second place is twenty five. So that's like that's typical name. In four games, forty-seven tackles yeah. in four games, and uh, oh god, yeah, they're gonna really miss him. He's impossible to replace, and based off what we've seen from some of the the people coming coming in this year, it's going to be hard for CU to even try to cover up his his absence because he is just like the classic mean linebacker in the middle of defense that no one wants to run against. Hmm. Jordan Dizon had 162 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, and four sacks and two interceptions his senior year. Mm-hmm. That is He's fun. another all-timer. He's absolutely yeah, insane. Looking. Yeah. Where else? Uh, we For middle linebackers, who's better off the top of your head? Then Lamin? Yeah. Or Dizon? Dizon. Um, I think number one is Matt Russell, obviously. I think – uh, Ted Robinson is up there. I thought you liked Canavis McGee more than Matt Russell. He's not a middle linebacker. He's an outside linebacker. Okay, sorry. Um, and then Barry Remington is probably really good up there. Um, Jordan Dizon, obviously. And I think that's about who I would put better than Nate Lamon. If we really want to stretch his – it's not that much of a stretch – but I think he is up near Jay Sean Sykes. Maybe a little better than Jay Sean Sykes. Sykes. That's sick. Everyone loves Jay Sean. How do you not? Um, also on the start, starting on the defense, uh, we have Carson Wells, who has just put in shift after shift. He's been so good. I mean, 
It's just nice to have an uh, outside linebacker that's good at everything. Yeah. He had four tackles for a loss, one and a half sacks, 11 tackles total. Last week, he was the star of the show. He's so solid. He can rush the passer. He's really good against the run for his size. Obviously, he's super athletic. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's, what a ridiculously good partner in crime to Nate Lehman. That front seven is disgusting. It really is. It's a gross yeah, no, front seven. You can make a case for probably five starters being all Pac-12 first team right now. With Landman, obviously, Carson Wells. Lang. Uh, yeah, Terrence Lang would be the third best player there. And then you could go Mustafa Johnson and Isaiah Lewis. If we want to count Isaiah Lewis. I guess he plays up in the box a lot. I mean, Jalen no, Savey is having a really good year too. Yeah, I meant all conference. Yes, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean – like I said, they blanked Arizona, who didn't help themselves. Gary Brightwell is a really good running back, and for some reason he stopped getting the ball that much in the second half. Yeah, he's going to be in the NFL. He's really good. Um, I mean, this defense is going to take CU places, and it's just nice to see a baseline competence in all phases. I, I feel like CU just solid enough to keep themselves in any game they played this year. Yeah, and not to get too ahead – like a lot of CU fans are doing. But how much of this, how much of the good, how much of the bad do you think will carry over to Utah? Well, yeah. So if we look at Utah, which, you know, that's been a controversy on is CU going, should CU be playing Utah? USC's undefeated, CU's undefeated. Let's just make them play before the championship berth. But, you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not as frustrated about that. Pac 12 had pretty clear rules, and though it sucks. Um, you know, it, it was it's it's not like they're changing the rules just now to benefit USC. So yeah, and this, it's not like 2016 either, where they see you lost the Pac-12 championship game and they gave USC the Rose Bowl slot. God, that was annoying. We would have been completely destroyed by the Penn State team, but that was oh annoying. yeah, yeah, and that was an insane game where USC and Penn State played. That was the game of the year, probably. So looking at Utah, um. That would be the undefeated season. That's at Folsom, a senior day at Folsom without any fans, which kind of sucks. But uh, it's Friday night game, going to be cold, might be snowy, 50% chance, maybe a little more, I think. And I think those conditions benefit CU at this point. But Utah is surprisingly similar to what CU looks like right now at, in, well, at this point in time. I think that the way CU's built this year is how Utah tends to be built. They just want to run it up the middle, and they want to shut down the other team's run game. Well, and see, to be fair, Utah has done that with varying degrees of success so far this year. They definitely are good at run defense. They're, I think, top two of the in the conference in every possible metric you could do for run defense. They always have that stupid, really good outside linebacker. I'm forgetting this guy's name this year, but it's another um, – it's not Max Tupai. That was last year, right? Devin Lloyd? No, he's a really good linebacker, but he's not an outside linebacker. I'm looking at tackles for loss right now. I don't know these guys um, that well. Mika Tufa. Mika Tufa. Tufa. Oh, okay, okay. Here we go. And they do have Max Dubai. Um, yeah, Mika Tafua, it was just another menace. But 
they um looking like what CU looks like. They have a quarterback that can't really throw the ball downfield. <laughs> Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley. They have receivers outside who are talented but don't get the ball that often. They okay. have a solid offensive line that likes to try to push people around, and they have a balanced rushing attack. Ty Jordan is leading the charge right now, but my personal favorite in that backfield is Jordan Wilmore. Out of Southern, he's a Southern Cal kid, and he's stupid explosives. He's just crazy like, fun to watch. I liked Micah Bernard more than him. Okay, well. But why? he only got – what? Why? He, he had a lot of pop when he was running. He had a lot of acceleration. I just like those guys. They're a young backfield. They obviously have no Zach Moss this year. There's no one that can just destroy a team. But Yeah, um, these are all freshman running backs. The guy that I'm really scared of is the guy that killed CU last year, Brant Ke- Brant Keith on tight end. Yeah. He has not done much this season, mostly because like they, they haven't been very effective throwing it. But yeah, he's really good. He's a matchup nightmare at tight end. I don't know. I it's it's really like looking in a the mirror. They're really strong in the middle and up front on defense with some question marks and a brand new secondary outside. They have some nice players, but no one that is similar to what they had last year with Jalen Johnson and Javelin Guidry and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, they were stupid good last year on defense. Lost most of their players. Um, CU hasn't beaten Utah since 2016. They've gotten their asses handed to them the past three times, too, all with the bowl games online. Uh, 20, yeah, 2019, Utah was really good last year. I'm trying to, I'm struggling to remember the 2018 game. That was at home, obviously. That was the snowy one. Yeah, that's right. Yep. With Jason Shelley. It was a snowy one that just sucked. And that was when McIntyre had already been fired, I think. Yep. Uh, with head coach Kurt Roper. Yikes. And then 2017. At Utah. 21-point blowout. Was it really? Okay. Yeah. Yikes. Well, um, I don't know. I don't think that their talent level is that much better than ours this year. I don't think that they can't – they have no Tyler Huntley or anyone that can really push the ball downfield. Remember Travis Wilson for Utah? I don't. (laughs) I think that was his name. He was that super tall quarterback that just took like 8 million hits a game. Oh, I don't remember this guy. Yeah, Travis Wilson. He's number seven. He's a um, tight end now in the NFL. I'm I'm worried that CU is going to look ahead to next week. That, no, come on. Are you really? So. I'm a little worried, but you get nervous easily, so I thought you'd connect. I no. I this this is the weird thing about this year. I think Carl Durrell has been such a good. He's been so good at putting this team in the situations they need to be in. I, I'm not worried about Nate Landman's uh, leadership on the defense or Sam Norrie's leadership of the offense. I think they know that they want to be undefeated first and let the rest work itself out. And I, I mean, when's the last time that CU had a real chance at an undefeated regular season, regardless of length? <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. I, I think that's something that Carl Durrell would impart on them, but I guess I'm not there. So, I'm not too worried about them looking ahead. I, I think – see, Utah's also a tough – a really tough opponent. So, maybe the best or second best team that CU's played so far this year. What would you say? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I haven't really watched much of Utah this year because I just don't watch all that much college football when CU's not playing. 
I saw parts of their game against Oregon State, thought it was really boring, and turned it off. And also because Oregon State was losing, and I don't like when that happens. Um, but yeah, I just knowing how Utah teams tend to be built, I'm a bit worried about dominating on the inside, especially if the offensive line has a bit of injury. Because if Chance Lytle's down, we're going to have to have a third-string guard without Colby Purcell if he can't play. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, Purcell might be back this year. We don't know. Or, well, this week, we don't know. Um, Kerry Kutch did test positive for COVID-19, so we hope, obviously, that he is healthy, first and foremost. And I don't expect him back at all this week. <laughs> Um, which means that we might be rocking Josh Gines again at center, uh, given that Chance Lytle is out for the year after that pretty bad leg injury that we saw. Yeah, and Chance is taking that in stride, thankfully. But, yeah, are you, are you worried about the offensive line? What's really booing me is if, if Kobe Purcell is back, that's actually a really solemn line, something that we thought might happen anyways because you have <laughs> um, Sherman on left tackle, you have Casey Roddick at left guard, who's been there all year. Throwing people around, by the way. Yeah, he's a really good pulling guard. Yeah, you can definitely see the holes he opens up when he starts getting his head of steam. Cody Purcell at center. Hopefully, if he's back, that'd be awesome. He's, he was rock solid this, that first game. Um, and then you have Kenan Ray at right guard, who was in contention for a starting spot anyways this year. Lost it to Kerry Kutch. Um, and then Chance Lytle filled in. And then you have Frank Phillip at right tackle. And that's a fine offensive line. And honestly, last week, the holes that they were op- able to open up with a, like, a lot of reshuffling was, were awesome. Those are great holes. And I, I, I don't – I have full confidence in, in that group. Okay, I'll be the skeptical one then this week. I'm, a, I'm, just, I'm just nervous. Utah makes me nervous to play against. Yeah, I don't know. I really – our biggest weakness, I think, is pass defense by far. Um, and I don't think that we need to worry that much because Jake Bentley cannot throw the ball past 15, 10 yards without it going way off target. So um, I don't think we need – I don't know. It's our biggest weakness is kind of disguised by Utah's biggest weakness. And their biggest strength, I would consider run defense, is disguised by our biggest strength, which is rushing attack. Um, and I think it just might be the the stoppable force meets the movable object, right? <laughs> yeah. I am a little bit happy that they don't have a dual-threat quarterback. I mean, I know Jake Bentley has been pretty effective on the ground, but they, they won't have someone like Dorian Thompson-Robinson who can really cause problems. Yeah, the, you don't and need to yeah, and they, they don't have um, Stanford's giant receivers making all kinds of ridiculous catches. They have some nice players outside. Solomon Enos is yeah. pretty big, too. But they don't – I mean, and Davis Mills has proven now that he is really good. So, Jake Manley is not that. Um, I don't know. I, I The more I think about this, I'm predicting a CU win. I'm also predicting it to be disgustingly low score, like 2017. I was thinking uh, – like 20 to 16, like, or 16 to even 13. That would be very funny. I could see 16 to 13 where Evan Price gets out there three times. Really snowy game. No one moves the ball past the 30-yard line. I could yeah, see that. And then press row is going to be open, and it's going to be cold as shit. I don't have to <laughs> oh, is that right? They have to leave yeah. the windows open? Yeah, they have to for COVID. Ouch. 
<laughs> yeah, so that sucks. One. It's okay though. I, I, I'll, I'll do it for a win. So you think it's a you think it's a low scoring win? I'm gonna go yeah with a low scoring win. I'm, I'll go seventeen thirteen. Okay, I'll stick with twenty seventeen. I th- I think that's about accurate. I just don't feel comfortable predicting a loss. <laughs> I don't want it to um, happen. Nate Lehman Senior Day. Come on, we gotta win. <laughs> well, no, because uh, CU is gonna host next week. Whoever they play. That's true. I forgot. So yeah, so they're either gonna win the Pac twelve South if they win, and UCLA beats USC, they make it to the Pac twelve championship game. Which is only a two point they... line, by the way. That's pretty much a toss up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And USC has not been very good. They Except for against Wazoo. Almost, what? Except for against Wazoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Wazoo's weird this year. Um, but, yeah, they, they barely beat Arizona on a last-second touchdown. They looked pretty unimpressive in their other games until Wazoo. And UCLA has looked better, a lot better lately. They just beat Arizona State, which was pretty solid for them. Um, yeah, you, I, I'm still thinking a USC win. How do you feel on that? No, I think USC is going to win. Um, I don't think the UCLA is the one that can cover those stupidly good receivers. Um, huh, I don't know. UCLA's defense has gotten better and better as the year's gone on. But I honestly might like Chase Griffin out back there more than Dorian Thompson Robinson. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, okay. I don't think that they're going to get rid of Dorian Thompson Robinson. So, um, I don't I don't trust UCLA to put enough points on the board to beat USC. So, that would make us play, what, do Oregon and Washington play this week? Is that happening? Yes. And that decides the North, effectively-ish. Yes. So, if CU doesn't win the South, they would play the loser of that game, almost surely. Mm-hmm. Any preview on that game? I haven't seen much either. I mean, Washington has been really impressive under new coach, just like CU, but Jimmy Lake had a lot more talent to work with. Uh, their quarterback's been way better than most people thought he was going to be, but they're missing some playmakers that they normally have on that offensive side of the ball. Defense is still pretty solid. They have the best player in the Pac-12, I would say, in ZTF on the outside. Um I that's the, uh, obviously an abbreviation, but it's a very long name that I don't want to try to pronounce. Um, he has like ten sacks or something dumb in in four games, three games. I have to look this up because I literally don't know who you're talking about. Um, they name, just lost to Stanford, by the way. I don't know if you want to read into that. His name is Zion Tupula Fatui. Oh, see, that's not that bad. Okay, yeah, I nailed it. You're right. Um, yeah, he's really, really good is basically the answer to that. And Oh, shit, seven sacks? Is that it? Yeah, okay, that's a lot, so, though. Yeah, 1.75 sacks per game, and uh, 0.75, he has three forced fumbles. So um, he's really good, and Washington is solid on defense, have a pretty okay quarterback and not that much around that. Oregon is super young. Had a lot of up to opt outs. Tyler Shaw is not that good a quarterback. I've decided. Oh. And I don't think he ever was very good. No, no, and he's really hampering that that offense right now. They have solid defensive talent that breaks down at times because they're super young. I I think Washington's going to win that game. 
Yeah. Um, they really fucked up by losing to Oregon State. Like, yeah, they that had game to, was wild. <laughs> that was a that wild game. game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also Oregon State. They could have been in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 title. Oh, wait, never mind. I well, have to look at the record. They, they, they should have beaten Washington. Yes, that should have been a win for them, and they beat Oregon. That would put them in a pretty good spot. They also played Utah without Jamar Jefferson, who's a great running back, and their starting quarterback. So um, they would be in a pretty good spot. Um, would you be confident playing Oregon next week if they lose? Yeah, they match up pretty well. They match up pretty well. They don't have the high-end talent that they usually do. And um, Tyler, once again, Shaw is not that huge of a threat um, passing, but he is a pretty good runner, which scares me a little bit. They can't – I don't think they could stop Jarek Broussard. Yeah, I, I mostly agree with that. I've seen a few Oregon games, and, like, I mean, they, they allowed a ton of big runs to Jamar Jefferson. That's and to um, Austin Jones at Stanford. Yeah. I, Washington's a harder matchup, but they're, I think they're a better team. So, yeah, it's just so, all a thought exercise right now. We don't yeah, know. Yeah, so, so if CU beats Utah, if they beat Oregon, 6-0, and they wouldn't make – no, they wouldn't get to the playoffs. That's not going to happen. No. Obviously. Um, they wouldn't even get to, what, the Fiesta Bowl or whatever because the Rose Bowl has a playoff game. What, an undefeated team going to the Alamo Bowl to play fucking Oklahoma? That's exactly what would happen, yep. Oh, my God. I don't really want that to happen. <laughs> Why? That would be super fun. It would be fun. <laughs> Dude, this year, just enjoy somehow see you being undefeated on the way to a bowl game if that happens. Yeah, that would be very fun. And then you get to go down to San Antonio, hopefully, maybe, maybe not, probably not, because, you know, we're still in the midst of a massive pandemic that's getting worse. But, you know. I mean, I might be able to go, actually. I have a dear friend who lives in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I have an elk friend who lives in San Antonio. Oh, incredible. <laughs> that, would be, that would be fun, actually. I think I'm going to message her to see if I could possibly see about going there. Well... <clears throat> Against Oklahoma, that'd be really fun. The main thing is you want the bowl practices for this year because almost everyone's coming back, and you really wanted to start developing that talent a little more, make up for the missing spring camp, you know, maybe give Brandon Lewis a start, maybe give him a little more reps in practice, stuff like that. It's pretty fun. You can only do when you make a bowl. Yeah, and that's what you've been clamoring about for years, about the the priority of getting to just a bowl, even if you're 6-6. Six and six. It's to get the guys going for the next year. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that CU's only had the luxury to do one time, and that one time happened to be when the defensive coordinator leaves for a different job. His backup um, happens to be a pretty big piece of shit, and um, <laughs> when it's a, and just massive disarray happens, and the team is pretty much checked out. Well, also, you lose eight starters from that team on defense. Right, exactly. So, well, that's that, but that's the bull practice would help develop the talent behind them. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. What okay. I'm saying is the 2016 team was just a mess after the Pac-12 championship game. Not through yeah. no fault of their own, really. So, yeah. Um, do you want to move on to basketball? Yes, we are coming off of a loss, but I don't feel that bad. Yeah, yeah. So, CU just lost to Tennessee. It was like 57-40 or like 56-47, which isn't that bad. It's not. 
Tennessee's number 12. They're probably going to be a top 10 team for most of the season. They're really fucking good. They're insanely talented. Like they have three or four all conference caliber players who have returned plus two top 30 freshmen who might go in the first round of the draft. So to say they're talented and experienced is an understatement. I will also say, I think that they were, see you held them to under 50 before the, the garbage time foul started coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, this was a gross game. <laughs> this is a disgusting <laughs> game. In Tennessee, they, they, they are bullies. They will beat you up. They're going to cause a lot of turnovers. They're going to crash the boards. And if you can't hang with them physically, it's going to be really bad. And you have to do what a credit to CU's defense that they held them to so few points. Yep. You can't be surprised. Yeah, you can't be surprised. I, you know, I also, yeah, so I guess I'm just going to dive in. I think, number one, I'm encouraged that they came back from a just horrendous first 10 minutes. You could tell this game was put together about two days ago, and you could also tell that this game, CU is not ready for the athleticism and the uh, aggression that they went up against at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Like Tennessee just got in their face right away, and they could do it successfully, and that really rattled them, I think. Yeah, they got um, punched in the mouth. Yeah, one thing I also want to mention is I think when, when, you, t- when you have the least amount of days possible to prep for a team – I think that that exacerbates the talent differential, right? I think if, if you only have two days to watch film and cut up and try to make plays that go, you know, counter people with coaching, it's harder to beat out a team that has more talent. Does that make sense? That yeah, it's like, the, it's like the AAU circuit where you're playing with players who you've only been on a team with for like a day. Yeah, And it's like, whoever's more talented shines through. With no organization, no anything, if you just rolled the ball out and said, Tennessee, play Colorado, this team would just destroy Colorado. Like you said, ridiculous amount of talent, and they're all pretty developed already. All yeah, of that those being are grown-ass men on that team. Yeah. That being said, CU shot horrendously as the Tennessee. Um, there was no offensive movement that passed McKinley Wright running around like a madman. And some actually pretty nice sets that dry horn to Sean Swartz set up or benefited from. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would love to see Keyshawn Bartholomew hit that outside shot more consistently because it was there for him all day. And I'd also love to see – it was a really tough matchup for them, but I'd love to see Evan Batty more aggressive on the block. I'd also like to see Evan Batty make his shots. Um, he had a really nice move where he had a nice hesitation and then wrap around layup. I was yeah, just no. like, you could do this every time, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I will say, terrible matchup for the bigs. The, the guy that was as tall as Dallas Walden was bigger and more athletic, and the guy that was as big as Evan Batty was athletic and more aggressive. So um, not a lot of teams are going to be able to run the starting five that Tennessee did in terms no, of so physicality and athleticism. Eves Pond, the guy who was guarding uh, Evan Batty, he yeah. finished the game guarding McKinley Wright. That's how big, that's how athletic he is. He is the reigning – SEC Defensive Player of the Year, and he could be National Defensive Player of the Year this year. Yeah, and Fulkerson is just way more of a real player than – I mean, he was just a more complete player than Dallas Walton and kind of punked him a few times. Not necessarily Dallas Walton's fault. Fulkerson's going to punk, punk a lot of people. He's good. I also don't get why Tennessee just didn't give it to Fulkerson every single possession. Well, he was in foul trouble for a little bit. 
No, but I know. But even when he was on the floor, like that turnaround fadeaway is automatic. Yeah, that thing nobody can contest that shot. Yeah, it's such a weird release, and it works every time. He reminds me of a guy at the I would play against at the rec who had like a Marcus Camby type shot that literally nobody could contest because he's so funky. Was this a guy with super long curly hair? Yeah, he would wear a Vince Carter jersey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know him. Yeah, yeah. That guy had a trebuchet for a shot, man. That's a siege weapon. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think this game was – it was encouraging to see them lock down like they did and play zone as effectively as they did. I thought um, Evan Batty and McKinley Wright did a good job directing traffic, and really the only shot available to Tennessee over and over again was that elbow jumper, and no one could hit that. Um, and if you can't hit that elbow jumper in a 2-3 zone, you're done. And I think that was pretty good for CU overall. Like I said, Jariah Horn, I thought, was the only player that was actually effective offensively. I mean, do you agree? Yeah, no, completely. I loved his – I mean, his veteran presence was – that's why you get a grad transfer. I, I'll tell you one thing I loved. There's a few times he did that. He hit two threes early, one three early, and they started closing out hard on him. And I want more players to do this. He did a pump fake, made the guy fly by, and just two really slow dribbles to, to get in the middle of the lane. And this, the times that he did bait a player out to meet him on the slow dribble, he just did a little dump off pass to Walton, who bobbled it half the time, but half the time he got a dunk. The, play, the times that he didn't step out to meet him, he just did a little like bank shot or a little mid-range jumper. And I thought that was awesome. I mean, it's just so simple. That offense is just so simple. Yeah, uh, sometimes going slow is just as effective as going fast. You got to know how to mix it up. That's a veteran move, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to take a lot of takeaways other than Tennessee is really, really good. McKinley Wright had a tough game, and this team was solid on defense. What, why did McKinley Wright struggle? <clears throat> well, he said in the post game he got in his own head a little bit, got frustrated, but I think the reason he got frustrated is because – Tennessee has disgusting perimeter defenders that are as quick as McKinley Wright and also as strong as McKinley Wright. Stronger. Stronger, yeah. Keon Johnson's gross. Like, he's really good. So, if we look at any Pac-12 team, (laughs) do they have a guy like that? I don't think so. I'm trying to think of a single Pac-12 team. Remy Martin is a pest more than a dog like that. Tiger Campbell, no. (laughs) On UCLA. Arizona, no. James Kinjo is long. Ethan Anderson's a bulldog, but he doesn't have the speed that Keon Johnson has, like the foot speed. No way. Yeah. I don't but know. I think I th- there's only Stephen Thompson. Ethan Thompson. Or Ethan Thompson at and, Oregon State. But Ethan Thompson's been giving McKinley Wright fits for years. And that's because he's so long. I don't think Ethan Thompson is necessarily that fast. I think he's super long. And I also think that they can put Thompson on there because there hasn't been another ball handler, which changes this year. Regardless, I mean, McKinley just frustrated himself out of that game offensively. Yeah, that sucked, and he was out of rhythm, so the few shots that he did get, he missed. Um, Keyshawn Bartholomew shot like 3 of 13 from the field, and part of that you have to appreciate his aggression, like mm-hmm. the Dion Waiter saying of like, I'd rather go <laughs> <laughs> 0 for 20 than 0 for 2 because 0 for 2 means I stopped shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that he kept chucking it, and I appreciate how aggressive he was going to the rim. I think that those are really good positives. Even if he didn't hit those shots, it's okay. It's okay right now. Well, yeah, so let's – I mean, macro view, if you look at Kansas in 2012, that game, like, crushed Eli Stalzer permanently, right? 
he was forced into being a point guard against a way better team and was just overwhelmed. That didn't happen to Keyshawn Bartholomew, which is good. As a young guard, you're going against a team that's really, really solid on defense and can really frustrate you out of a game. I think his confidence being that high is solid, and this is a good learning experience, experience, whatever. His outside shot is still shaky. We knew that going in, and I am. He took a lot of floaters that he seemed to be going way too fast for. Oh, absolutely. He wasn't set. He wasn't squared up at all. So, I like the aggression, and those shots were open because they were so attentive to McKinley Wright taking those shots. But you're also not like you can't. I don't think you can make those shots with consistency yet. You're 18 years old, 19 years old. It's hard. It's hard to tell a kid to not do that, but don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just wish there was a little more offensive output. It was great to see Deshaun Schwartz back. I thought he was a really good, calming presence. He made a few really nice passes, um, but there's a lot of rust. Boy, he had some bad shots. Yeah, he'll he'll be better as the season goes along. There's, I mean, the end of the day, if I look at that takeaway, there's really no downside. You lose by single digits to a top ten team on the road, and they're coming to Boulder next year now. Yeah, and it's a. I think it's a three-game series, actually. Yes, it's it's Tennessee at Tennessee, Boulder, neutral site at Nashville. So I mean, quote unquote, yeah, Tennessee. Neutral site. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I am fine with that game. Um, as we're recording this, uh, CU's win, their second win of the season, Kansas State. Kansas State lost to Fort Hayes State, which is a D two school. They Ooh. lost eighty-one to sixty-eight. Ooh against a D2 school. So, uh, fellas, it could be worse. <laughs> Holy and, shit. Oh. Um, so, so it's a win-win for CU. So, what, they get punched in the mouth. They figure out what they need to clean up. They oh, yeah. get experience for a lot of these, like, younger guys who haven't played against such high quality. If we look slightly ahead, UNC's next. I think Evan Batty is going to play five minutes against that team and breathe a sigh of relief because he's going to realize the UNC big men are not the Tennessee big men. <laughs> and I also am looking slightly more ahead. Washington has fallen apart as a, as a team this year. They are not that solid. Washington State's okay, not great. I'm looking, is there a single Pac-12 team I'm as scared of right now? I was terrified of UCLA at the beginning of the year, and they're still pretty good. They lost to a good San Diego State team. But there's no one on the on the schedule that I think is an automatic loss. No, no one, no one in the Pac-12 is better than Tennessee. Well, not only that, no one in the Pac-12 I think is that markedly better than CU right now. They all have flaws that are pretty big, and they all have bad nights. There's no consistently really good team. There's no crazy scary team like Arizona either because they're not the same as they once was. Yeah, no, I think that speaks to how bad the Pac-12 has gotten. As opposed to what, like 2014, even? Yeah, I mean, back, the Pac 12 has gotten bad this year, but they also had, what, eight first round picks or something nuts out of 30? Yeah. Um, I think that that was like if Jaden McDaniels is going to be a first round pick, that's that oh, shouldn't okay. Be. Yeah, there you go. Well, sure, but they also put, <laughs> they put some talent out and there's some teams reeling. Washington is not going to be the same as they once were last last year. And they weren't even good that that good last year. So Yeah, apparently also the only thing holding together Mike Hopkins was Matisse Thibault. <laughs> and Isaiah Stewart, basically, barely. 
Well, I am Jalen Noel. God, I love Jalen Noel. Thank you. I was waiting for you to talk about that. (laughs) What a guard. I will say the team I've gotten most impressed with for the Pac-12 so far is Stanford. They are a little scary to me. Yeah, no, they were, they were, I don't know why people were sleeping on them before the season. Like Tyrell Terry wasn't like the main piece of their team last year. Whatever. Yeah, Dejon Davis is still good. Zaire Williams is still good. Oscar De Silva is still good. That's really all you need for a really good team. Yeah, and all their role players are just really solid. It's not that, Spencer Jones. Yeah. I I don't know. I think CU. This was a good thing. I'm glad that this got together so late. Nate Tomlinson and King English back channeled to make this happen, which I also think is super cool. Hell yeah, both of those guys are so cool. Well, and then something else I learned. I'm dumb for not realizing this. That Tad Boyle and Rick Barnes both chair the national rules committee he oh i didn't know that the chair before tad boyle took over so they know I, a little bit from that and i didn't know tad boyle had coached to tennessee before yes for one year on his assistant coach grind yeah well i mean things i didn't know also they only played once in the big 12 in cu beat number three texas that's right tristan thompson <laughs> was on that team hell yeah um, I don't know. I really like Rick Barnes' teams. They're going to go far this year. Um, I really like the Tennessee basketball program as a, as a whole, the way they're running yeah. it. And I'm glad I that we get to play them two team. more times. I think that's cool. Tennessee, um, I said it in my, like, season preview thing, that, that like, that's my team to root for outside of, the, outside of CU this year. They're so fun. They're so good. And I just, I just like how they go for those just bully ball types. Like the yep. six foot seven, just ripped his shit, guys. Like Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, those types are so fun. And uh, what was this guy on this team? Ino Ino Kise. Oh, Anasike. CJ Anasike. God, he was just an absolute bully. He would just run so hard, box Evan Batty out. That's how big he was. He boxed Evan Batty out, and just ripped down boards. God, he was fun to watch. And he was off their bench. That's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, their guard talent this year is good. Anyways, I don't want to gush too much about Tennessee. That's a good team that CU lost to, and CU lost, which sucks. But I really don't think this is a harbinger of doom for the season. No, not at all. And I will gush about that team because I really like the Tennessee team. I think it's okay. I like. I, I thought the game was fine. It's okay. Like, nobody was good, and it was still a close game. I guess Two games tough. notice, CU performed on defense. They did not perform on offense. That's pretty much all I need to take off. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much thoughts on this game. Um, so what? Next time we we see Utah Friday, yep. see Northern Colorado this on Monday. Monday. Yeah. Otherwise, it's pretty quiet. Well, yeah, football is going to end soon, which means we're just at basketball, and that's going to be a frenetic schedule reschedule. You know, there's way too many. There's a lot of variables on college basketball season. I think the team will be able to lock down okay. I think we saw that. We had two players missing tonight, Eli Parquet and Luke O'Brien. But we actually got Keyshawn Bartholomew, Deshaun Swartz, and Tristan De Silva back relatively early. So you're going to see a lot of that this year. But you also see le- you'll see less wholesale cancellations like we did in football, I think. Yeah, man, it's so tough that CU's is gonna miss the Pac-12 championship game because USC had to cancel the game because of COVID. And ASU, don't 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 forget if ASU didn't also cancel, CU would be potentially undefeated with the same amount of wins as USC, and this wouldn't be an issue. 
Well, well it then, would be an issue because USC has the higher CFB ranking and then they would still win. But um, it's still less of an issue. It's just annoying that CU did such a good job shutting down everything COVID-wise. Such a good job. that uh, And other teams didn't necessarily have that same luck and CU gets punished for that. Yeah, and it, it sucks. And I hope UCLA loses so we can say ball don't lie. No, 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 no. You hope USC loses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant to say – We want yeah, UCLA. Yeah. We want UCLA and Stanford to be the best teams in the world except for CU. Yes. All right. Um, yeah, Friday, Utah, UNC on t- Monday. Um, also, early signing day is next Wednesday for football. Oh, so I will be a busy man. Uh, it's an interesting class, and I think – I don't know. It looks like CU's gearing up to have a nice finish after early signing day, potentially. So hopefully they can translate this unexpected success into unexpected recruiting. Yeah, so we'll, we'll probably have a lot more to talk about next time. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to get our newly minted Denver sports betting expert, Chase Howell, on the podcast again um, because he and I are both recruiting nerds of the highest order. Yeah, maybe you can leave me off that podcast and it'd be a great time for everyone. I pray every week for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you, Jack. All right. Bye. Buzz. Buzz. Buzz.